friends, I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Um, if you've been with us for a while, we've been in Hebrews for a few months. And so now, instead of being towards the end of the book, we're back towards the beginning. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, the page is probably 265. If you get through the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then we find 1 and 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 9 is a text in which we'll begin uh, a focused look on our series of hospitality, looking at stories of the Old and New Testaments for what does it look like and how do we learn well from God's word, how to make some space in our hearts, in our homes, at our tables, in our schedules, in our priorities to express the love of God and love of neighbor that we receive as a gift from God. And so as we look at different examples, we'll remember that all of this ultimately we learn from Christ. And yeah, there's good examples that we'll hear of David and Mephibosheth today. And we'll look at Abraham and Sarah and um, Peter and Cornelius. And yet all of these we learn from Christ. And so we celebrate that today. Lots of good examples. And there's things that look a little bit like the gospel, even in the Old Testament. There's things that look like Christ like the name Christy, looks a little bit like Christ, and yet we will focus on Christ as our teacher. So before we open God's word to 2 Samuel 9 and read it together, I invite you to pray with me for God's blessing upon the word. Lord, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May you show us the ways which are your ways. May you speak to us the truth that is your full truth. Lord, and as we think of our hearts being shaped and formed by your spirit through your word, may you shape us to be people of hospitality, of welcome, of living out our love of neighbor, even to the stranger in passing. Lord, in all of this, may you speak to us today that we might learn from you. In your holy name we pray, amen. 2 Samuel chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you are grateful, I invite you to respond with, thanks be to God. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there is a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, well, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant 
that you should notice a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, there is a gospel story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Not the full gospel that we understand in Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the empty grave, but there is a gospel preview, an echo, if you will, going forward, pointing towards the fullness of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But there is still, nonetheless, a significant echo of gospel in 2 Samuel 9 between David and Mephibosheth. Consider simply the, the invitation and maybe it's uh, the calling of the name that stands out to me so much this week, especially with uh, funerals fresh in our minds, that we consider what it is to be called by name. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness or come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Here we have Mephibosheth, who is lame in both feet, which is repeated throughout the text. We have Mephibosheth, who should have been king over all of Israel because he is Saul's grandson, and yet life has not gone the way that it should have gone for Mephibosheth. Things have not turned out the way that he would have wanted them to go. And here we have, in the midst of all of the suffering and all the changes that he's gone through, we have King David, the king of Israel. Call him by name, Mephibosheth. He is called by name, and the conclusion of him being called by name by the king is that he then eats at the king's table for the rest of his days. He is called by name so that David, the king, might show him loving kindness, and he eats at the king's table. Oh, how I wish we were having communion today because the, the, the line is so clearly drawn. You are called by name, friends, and you are vi invited to have a seat at the king's table. Mephibosheth is not a son of David. He's a son of Jonathan, and yet he eats as one of the king's sons. We are sons and daughters of the king who are called by name and invited to his table, to feast at the table because we are his own. David and Mephibosheth put on display for us a gospel preview of being called by name and invited to the table. Now, here, of course, it's an earthly king and there's an earthly extension of hospitality, but the ways in which it points towards the heavenly king, the Lord of hosts, the king of kings, who we call Jesus, who would also call us 
by name, with all of our faults, with all of our failings, with all of the things that have gone wrong in life, that our king would still call us by name and say, come to my table, for here you belong. That Mephibosheth's life was changed because he was living, not in Jerusalem, but he is called to live in Jerusalem so that he can be at the king's table. And that we, whether we live wherever we live, we're not moving to Jerusalem, though we should pray for everything happening in that part of the world, especially this week. <clears throat> weekend, but our life is changed because our invitation is to feast in Zion, in the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven from God, as we read in Revelation 21. The course of Mephibosheth's life changed because he was called by name, because David wanted to show some hospitality, some loving kindness to his best friend's family. Jonathan and David were best friends. Now let's get back into that in a moment, but let's make unmistakably clear that the David and Mephibosheth story should point us towards Christ calling us by name, and that us being called by name should actually have an effect, a change on our lives, and that should not be lost on us as we read about David and Mephibosheth. Hospitality is putting the gospel into practice. Not dying for someone else's sins, that's Jesus and that's his territory alone to have already done for all of time, forever and ever, amen. But rather, when we practice love of neighbor, we put the gospel into practice. And we can do so through hospitality, through making room at our tables because there's one more seat. David had a seat from Mephibosheth and Jesus has a seat for you at his table. This is the gospel for us. And then we can look at some of the other details. Maybe you come into this week or into this season of life feeling like life is just not all as it should be. This would be the story of Mephibosheth, who was not born lame, but rather he was essentially in the rush during all of the chaos and war and horror that was going on in his day, as a young boy at the age of five, there was an accident when they were fleeing. And since then, he was lame in both feet. And that description of Mephibosheth, being mindful today that it's Disability Awareness Sunday, the second Sunday of October, we're particularly mindful that that moniker of Mephibosheth, he was lame in both feet, seems to stick with him and that nobody can quite get past that. Ziba introduces the idea of Mephibosheth, not even by name, but Ziba, the servant of Saul, says, well, there's a son of Jonathan. Does he call him by name? No. He calls him by being lame in both feet. And even chapter 9, this is one of those little things that as you read through can almost bother you, like they got to a perfect stopping point in chapter 9, verse 11, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Period. Perfect end of the chapter. But even the author of 2 Samuel 9 then just has to include, he was lame in both feet. As if we can't see past that. That, oh, we, we see what someone can or can't do. We can not quite get over that to just see the person who has a name, who has a story, and who has every right and reason to be invited to the table to be shown dignity and love and hospitality. David and Mephibosheth. 
is a lower case G gospel story of practicing hospitality. David is the first one to call Mephibosheth by name. And as if to point it out to us, it's right in the middle of the chapter. Mephibosheth. And how do you think David says Mephibosheth's name? One thing that if you are, have children in your life or are ever around children, one way that we can teach them how to interpret the Bible well, to learn how to interpret the intent of Scripture, is to ask them to pay attention to what tone of voice should be used for certain things. When Adam and Eve are in the garden and God says, where are you? What tone of voice is there? But now we can look at David and Mephibosheth and say, with what tone of voice does David call out Mephibosheth's name? It can't be surprise, like, oh, I didn't know he'd be lame in both feet, because apparently that's all that anybody could talk about, about Mephibosheth, was, oh, he's lame in both feet. So David would not have been surprised to see Mephibosheth in this way. He wouldn't be angry. He asked for him. He's not looking for his enemies so that he can eliminate any male heir to Saul's throne. After all, Saul, Jonathan, Mephibosheth, this is the original king line, but God and the prophets proclaimed that Saul was not fit to be king, and so David is the new king. In the ancient Near East and even today, if there's a threat to your power and line, you might want to eliminate that and clip those branches off. Mephibosheth does not appear as a challenger to David's throne. Rather, one thing that I have in mind as we read this and we think about the friendship that Jonathan and David were best friends. Jonathan took David's side even over and against his own father, Saul. And you ever see those people that look so much like one of their parents that it takes your breath away just a little bit? That seeing them brings you back in time to an earlier point in time and you can't not see. Well, you see the person in front of you, but you can't not see their lineage. I think David had one of those moments where he saw Mephibosheth and he saw Mephibosheth and he calls him by name because Mephibosheth is his own person with dignity. But yet he also saw his friend Jonathan, the blast from the past to see his dear good friend, Mephibosheth. His expression is one of love. How does God call your name? Do you have a picture of God that you're like in trouble with God? I know that my middle name, being Scott, works really, really well for when I'm in trouble. Stephen Scott! It has that nice hard sound at the end. I think we do subconsciously name our children so that their names sound good when we have to yell them when they're in trouble. But that's maybe some of my own stuff to deal with. Rather, we can get caught up in thinking that that's how God says your name, but to remember that this is a gospel preview story. And the speaking of Mephibosheth's name from the lips of David points us towards how Christ would call us by name. How do you imagine God would call your name? Is it because you're in trouble? No. Your troubles, your mistakes were crucified on the cross with Christ. And so rather, we are called with compassion. Back to the original motive that David even had for seeking out Mephibosheth was he wanted to show kindness. He wanted to show kindness to someone in the family of his best beloved friend. And it, that word for kindness is the same word for kindness that is used 
to describe God's love for us. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. David wants to show steadfast love to someone from Jonathan's household for the sake of their friendship. God longs to call our name out of that same love, that same steadfast, loving kindness, that same compassion by which Christ calls your name and invites you to his table. This is a gospel story, unmistakably so. And perhaps a few things that we can learn today as we seek to show hospitality and, and make a practice of the same things that we learn well from Scripture is the motivation was kindness and love. There's other motivations that we can assume and infer. After all, David was an incredible warrior. He's had all kinds of civil wars throughout the stuff of 2 Samuel 9 is all kinds of uprisings. First, it's David taking over from Saul. Then we've got David and Absalom. We've got war after war throughout this book of the Bible. And yet David's motivation is not to keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. His motivation is not to eliminate a political threat. It is to show kindness. Now, I don't know if we have a lot of political threats to eliminate, but I do know that as we think of David calling Mephibosheth by name, the first one to do so in the chapter, that one thing that can stand out to us is that David's motivation is not pity, and it doesn't seem to be to make David feel better. It's not just viewing someone as pitiful, but it is viewing them as someone worthy of dignity. It's not just being nice to check the box and move on with life, but it is to, in fact, change David's life by making a permanent spot for Mephibosheth at his table. So when we show love to our neighbor, when we show hospitality to strangers, let's make sure that it's not out of pity or, oh, I feel really sorry for them, so I'll do something nice for them. Now, sympathy can be a meaningful and powerful thing, but to practice hospitality should not first need a reason, but our reason, our motivation comes from the gospel, that we have been called by name by Christ and invited to his table, so we love because he first loved us. We, we are motivated by the love of Christ to show that love to others. We are not, we can respond to pity, but we're not motivated by only pity. We don't need to see someone's abilities or disabilities, but we do need to know their name and to appreciate their story. And to meet them in the points of life where everything seems to have gone oh so horribly wrong. And call them by name all the same. David is motivated by showing kindness for Jonathan's sake. And this is a friendship that continues on. That even at one point Ziba will betray Mephibosheth in hopes of making ill-gotten gains. But Mephibosheth's love for David is as strong and solid as David and Jonathan's love was for one another. Our motivation of hospitality is out of steadfast loving kindness. And lastly, we can keep in mind that this is the story of someone who is lame, lame in both feet, who could not walk, who could have been so much more, could have been a king, could have been in the royal court, but was not, was off in the slums somewhere. 
But there's one other thing that we should keep in mind. Often if we go to the New Testament, if there's someone who can't walk, can't see, can't speak, can't hear, we wait for Jesus to heal them. We wait for the miracle, right? David is not Jesus, and we are not Jesus, nor are we David. We're just us. We're Phila, Tim, Stacy, Mandy. We're John, we're Debbie, we're Bob. We are just ourselves. Do you notice there's no quote-unquote miracle in this story? There's the steadfast loving kindness of God, but there is no healing. Mephibosheth remains lame in both feet, as the chapter ending reminds us. There is no ultimate healing. There is no moment where he rises up from his mat and leaps and dances for joy, though we wish that were the case. But that seems to be the inbreaking of Jesus. Here, the miracle performed, though it is not one of restoration of Mephibosheth's lame feet, the miracle is one of love and hospitality. It is an everyday miracle that any of us can do that takes no supernatural power to perform. It is the miracle of calling someone by name when no one else does. It is the miracle of giving dignity to someone's story and their pain when no one else seems to be doing so. And it is the miracle of making space at our tables for someone else. Is it a supernatural miracle? No. But is it motivated by the supernatural love of God? For us, I think it should be. It is an invitation to table, not out of pity, though we can respond to it, but our motivation is love. There is no healing that takes place for Mephibosheth's feet, but for his spirit, for his life, there are many ways in which he is simply healed. Healed by love and hospitality. So as we go into our lives and our weeks, keep an eye open for the Mephibosheths. Don't forget that we, we are Mephibosheths to the point that God calls our name. He calls it in love. And our central motivator for hospitality is the love of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, when it King David was anointed. It was not the outward appearances that mattered, but it was the heart by which he was anointed to be king of Israel. And when David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, it was not about him being lame in both feet. It was about love and kindness. God, as we think of how we can perform and practice the everyday miracles of hospitality, of giving someone's name and story, the dignity that it deserves, for we are all created in your image. Help us to be motivated by your love. Help us to have eyes to see in the ways that you see us and your servants. And for wherever we fall today, O oh God, give us ears to hear your voice calling us out of love and compassion, not out of disappointment that we need to prove ourselves to you, but help us to first hear our name called by your voice with love and grace and compassion so that we can first be changed by your love and grace and compassion, your steadfast kindness, and that that may be the catalyst for every change in our lives that we might then also love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to hear our names with your loving voice. 
telling us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Telling us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, not out of pity, but because I love you, declares the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.